Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. A presidential heist. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. Monday, March 27, 1972, and the United California Bank is opening in the sleepy town of Laguna Niguel. The bank manager goes to the vault, trying to unlock its heavy door, but it's jammed with a screwdriver and will not open. Twenty minutes later, a technician from the vault manufacturer arrived to try and open the door. Everyone is confused. The combination is right, the mechanism is working, but the vault still won't open. Without a better idea, the technician climbs into the rafters of the bank to maybe, just maybe, get closer access to the vault. He's stunned when he finds a very large hole sawed into the roof. Below that hole, in the ceiling of the vault itself, was a second gigantic hole, and millions of assets were gone. Maybe you caught us both telling parts of this insane heist on the History Channel show History's Greatest Heists with Pierce Brosnan. But today, we're going to talk through the whole thing, a case that involves Jimmy Hoffa, Richard Nixon, a load of dairy farmers, explosives, and millions of dollars. The whole thing begins in Ohio? Yes. This is the story of the United California bank burglary. Let's go first to modest, low-key Youngstown, Ohio. Emil Dinzio and his older brother James grew up there, and as adults, they owned a local coal mining company called the Dinzio Brothers Mining Company. But they weren't just miners. They were cunning, highly intelligent career criminals. Emil was the brains, and James the explosive expert, and together they began robbing banks as teenagers. By the early 1970s, they became seasoned pros, notorious not just in Youngstown, but among organized crime rings in other parts of the country. So much so that they were brought into a gambling ring in Cleveland by Butchie Sesterino, a guy who Emil had gotten friendly with over the years. Butchie Sesterino was a total mob guy who had contracted Amel and James for various gigs. He invited Amel out for sandwiches one day, and in the middle of their meal, Butchie asked Amel, quote, 
How would you like to steal a few million dollars from Tricky Dick? Butchie tells Amel that there's $30 million of Nixon re-election funds in the United California Bank, located in California. Now it was 1972 and Watergate was still three months away. But already Nixon had a reputation for being pretty corrupt. According to a Teamsters tip, Nixon had been shaking down U.S. dairy farmers for cash to use in his re-election campaign. That money, $30 million, was supposedly stowed alongside some other assets in a safety deposit box in the United California Bank in Orange County, Laguna Niguel to be exact. Laguna Niguel at the time is this, again, sleepy little beach town, the boonies really, so it makes it a pretty perfect hit, but Amel thinks this is all pretty ridiculous and very far-fetched. Until he realizes that this tip is coming from Jimmy Hoffa. Butchie got his tip from the Teamsters, whose ex-leader was Jimmy Hoffa himself. In mid-1971, Hoffa is four years into his 13-year sentence for bribery and fraud. Nixon granted Hoffa a presidential pardon under one condition. He's barred from any union activities for nine years. This really pisses Jimmy Hoffa off. I mean, obviously the man doesn't like rules. But mainly because Hoffa supposedly paid Nixon $3 million to get all of this smoothed out, with the intention of keeping his role as the head of the Teamsters. And then, all of a sudden... Nixon hits him with a resignation rule. So he wants his money back and he wants to take Richard Nixon down. And just like that, Emil Dinzio is in. And so, of course, James is in. James brings in his brother-in-law, Charles Mulligan, as a driver and lookout man, and his nephews, Harry and Ronald. Now, the Dinzios are pretty pleased with their team, but Butchie brings in two people himself. His cousin, Phil Christopher, another mob guy, but also a well-known alarm specialist, which we'll get to later, and Charles Brokel, Phil's uncle the muscle, I guess. He's kind of an idiot and really just a petty thief, but Butchie wants to make sure he has enough people on, quote, his side, and that the mob eventually gets their cut of the money. So there are kind of two factions in this group, the Dinzio faction and the Sesterino faction. The men, Amal Dinzio, James Dinzio, Chuck Mulligan, Phil Christopher, Harry Barber, and Charles Brockle, drive from Youngstown, Ohio to Orange County to case Six Monarch Bay Shopping Center in Laguna Niguel, California. Amal and James confirm the bank closes Friday at 5 p.m. and stays closed until 10 a.m. on Monday. So they arrive on Friday and check into a hotel about 30 miles away. Amal and James sneak closer to the bank and watch the cleaning crew arrive. When the cleaners get inside, they begin dusting the teller stations, and, observing this, the brothers spot the vault door. Very good information. According to Dinzio, bank robbers will never try to get into the vault through the door. It's much easier to blast through a wall or ceiling, and also the robbery gets discovered faster. So the two walk up to the bank doors after the cleaning crew leaves, looking for an alarm brand or manufacturer. They cannot find any. Then they realize just how low security this bank is and wonder why Nixon chose the United California Bank in the middle of nowhere to do this. They conclude, after a lot of discussion, that it's just super under the radar. So maybe it's genius. James then decided to pick the door lock to see if they could locate a telephone line junction box, which would let them read the wires of the bank system and see what type of alarm they were using. Just as they're about to go in, a man and his dog jump out of the car and kind of wander around, the man smoking a cigarette and the dog peeing on random bushes around the bank. This makes James and Amel realize that maybe there is a lot of money in this bank, that maybe they're onto something. The brothers think this is a dog patrolman, something they'd heard about but never seen with their own eyes. They keep their distance, and the dog and the man eventually leave. A scary warning, but the two keep going. Hours later, when things seem chill yet again, Amel goes to the back of the bank and discovers what kind of alarm the bank uses, a Diebold. 
No problem for these seasoned criminals, but it didn't necessarily mean that a whole place was wired with a Diebold alarm bell box. But still, a good sign. At this point, Amel Dinzio was confident he could dismantle the alarm system. The next day, the plan was for Chuck and Amel to watch the bank. If things looked good, Amel would go inside and locate the telephone junction box and dismantle the alarm. The plan goes normally. Amel picks the lock and heads inside, eventually finding a plywood door with a small handle, the telephone junction box. Inside, two plastic cups cover two brass terminal posts. The bank alarm wires are in these two terminal posts. Most bank alarm systems work by sending voltage or pulses over an alarm wire. I want to give you a little explanation of how bank alarm systems kind of work. So most bank alarm systems work by sending voltage or pulses over an alarm wire. These pulses go to an alarm company or directly to the police. The pulses are usually generated in the alarm's main control panel, located inside of the bank's vault. Emil gets out his meter to read the pulses in the wire outside of the vault, but doesn't get any read. No voltage at all. It's weird. This meant the bank probably has a circuit alarm system, not an AC one. This is good news, because circuit alarm systems are even worse at keeping money safe than AC ones. Circuit alarm systems go through the telephone wires, so all you have to do is cut the telephone wire and the alarm system wouldn't work, instead of the pulses, which you have to get into beyond a telephone wire. Amel finally checks out the vault, about 12 feet by 15 feet on the inside, 18-inch thick concrete walls reinforced with steel bars. So the vault itself is essentially a 15-foot by 18-foot solid block of concrete in the middle of the bank. He goes into a crawl space between the ceiling and the vault, grabs two sodas from the break room fridge, and leaves. He thinks this is going to be so easy, and so a plan is made. On night one, Thursday, they blow a large hole in the roof over the vault, bring tools in, muffle the sound of the dynamite between the roof and the top of the vault, and then keep all of the tools and supplies there for the next night. Then they'd seal up the roof so nobody could spot the hole. On night two, that Friday, Emil would take care of the alarm system and James would blast the vault. They'd hit Nixon's boxes first and use the rest of the weekend to get into the other safety deposit boxes. With a plan, the crew went back to Ohio and then flew back to California on March 15, 1972, using their real names. Not a good part of the plan, but the rest of the plan, all things considered, was pretty good. But sometimes things don't exactly go according to plan. More on that after the break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, hello. How are you doing? Hello. How's it going? Is it going well? We're checking in. Hello. Good? Your top 50 favorite things of the week, the check-in. <laughs> we want to say hello to anyone who's listening, supporting us, spreading the good word mm -hmm. of Ghost Town. Thank you. Thank we, you. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And yes, 
We were on an episode <laughs> of History's Greatest Heists. We were. For this episode, we'll put a link in the description. Yeah. Click on it, and you could watch our faces. Watch from, our faces. But from like not... I feel like our faces are different now because we, we we shot this a while ago. Yeah. That was like six months ago. It was. It was a long time ago. Yeah. It was very... Everyone was very cool, though. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, cool production. Yeah. It was just... It's interesting because I... I got this episode together way back then just to like quiz myself on like what we were even talking about. <laughs> um, Not me. I just said, what do you want me to say? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I read about it, no, but yeah. I was like, we both did our, did our homework. Um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting to kind of go back and revisit this and like what, and what the final product is. And obviously, yeah, go in, uh, Phil Christopher is in it. There's a couple of journalists. There's a lot of people that are better informed or even there, which we were not. And they know what to do with their hands. I, yeah. I personally do not know what to do with my hands. No. So you can see me trying to make sense. It's like, what does a human do with hands? <laughs> I know. And, and I'm seated so awkwardly just because for the camera. So I'm like, my body's turned one way, my head's turned the other. Uh-huh. And it just looks like a head just was placed. It's like a cantaloupe <laughs> on a refrigerator. Like it's just... What's going on? But you can check that out. Put links in the description for that. Yeah, it was it was a fun, it was a fun time. Even though uh, I, same, I, I don't feel very particularly comfortable. They're like put the, put her in a blazer, see how she does. Um, but we we do it again in a second. Yeah, you know anyone? Anyone? <laughs> nope. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, the U.S. government was maligned in that episode. Mm. In this episode, we celebrate the government, the ghost town <laughs> government. Uh huh. The mayors. On safe-cracking duty, Charlie Gilbert. Hello. The master of disguise. <laughs> Basically, mustaches and funny glasses. Nice. Ashley Matson. Hello. And on explosives. Brand new to explosives, but it's all going to work out. Mm-hmm. I believe it. They needed an explosives person, and this person was like, I've never done it before. And they're like, well, that's the only slot. And that's the only thing we have left. Sorry. What, we- they're like, what about the... the- computer nope we don't need that no. it's the 70s we don't need <laughs> what is a computer mm. so they are on explosives and demolitions that's that's a lot cat Josel. hello and the governor the mastermind the one who puts the team together nice that you don't find out who it is to the very end uh, everyone has their plea deals to get to this person plea deals <laughs> witsec rico case <laughs> But is completely immune, untouchable, mm-hmm. untraceable, even though her name is Avian Noble. Noble. So you want no ads, no chit-chat, bonus episodes, just the good stuff. Head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Now, do you want to go back to sunny Laguna Niguel? Let's go. Because here in Laguna Niguel, California... We have Emil Dinzio, James Dinzio, Chuck Mulligan, Phil Christopher, Harry Barber, Charles Brockle, and it's a band of Youngstown, Ohio criminals that have been not displaced, but flown of their own volition to Orange County, and they are ready to go. And so, night one commences. They bury their tools and hide some dynamite close to the bank that first night, but return the next day, and things are already going wrong. They find their tools are gone. Apparently, someone had turned them over to the police, presumably. So they were already kind of out night one. They had to go scramble to find more tools. 
Chuck was kind of the man to source the materials, and he knew to be careful to source in different places because a lot of people get caught buying incriminating items together. So he's going around buying all new tools for the team. Meanwhile, Amel has a brilliant trick for disabling the exterior alarm bell, fast-expanding liquid styrofoam. It's a product that was invented for fixing surfboards, but it hardens immediately, freezing the bells and expanding inside so they cannot ring at all. I think you know what kind of thing I'm talking about. It's very light, styrofoamy. It kind of makes total sense when you think about it. So now they're ready with their brand new supplies and everyone takes their position. We've got Chuck, the lookout man on the hill. Harry, he stays at the condo listening to scanners on standby with a getaway car. Amel, James, Phil, and Brockle, they are walking across a golf course to the bank. They climb onto the roof, and they saw a 36-diameter hole in the plywood over the vault. James and Amel hand-roll a nitroglycerin-soaked sawdust putty around a blasting cap and a wire. Then they put these tubes in holes drilled into concrete and cover them with sandbags and cover the whole thing with a tarp. This plan, again, is incredibly intelligent because this directs the force of the blast downward, so most of the debris and noise gets into the vault instead of out. Less noise, less garbage, and nobody noticing a thing. It's so brilliant that the lookout, Chuck, who is outside, doesn't even realize the explosion happened when it does. And I'm sure to Amel and James, this felt amazing. They get inside. There are 500 safety deposit boxes ripe for the taking. Amel goes outside to reconnect the phone wires and make sure nothing's accidentally tripped. And then he goes back into the vault. The four men work in pairs. While one man swings the sledgehammer, another is holding a hammer specifically used for knocking rivets out of metal beams. The pointed ends of the hammer have been whittled down to smaller points so they can fit into the keyholes of the lock boxes. A good whack and they can punch the whole lock barrel back into the box. So they start smashing open boxes and find $1,000 bills. Immediately. First smash. That's pretty awesome. They keep doing this, smashing through each lockbox, and around 3 a.m. that night, something insane happens. Mulligan comes on the walkie, saying a car has entered the shopping plaza and has parked outside of the bank. Phil quotes in his book, saying, quote, The cleaning crew isn't supposed to be here tonight. We freeze. Over the walkie, Mulligan says, It's a man and he's just sitting there. We don't move. Mulligan sounds nervous now. He's getting out of the car and walking towards the bank door. He's opening the bank door. The man then goes inside, and then Phil in his book says, We all hold our breath listening for the man to come into the bank lobby. We can faintly hear him moving around but can't tell what he's doing. But then suddenly Charlie starts coughing. Phil and Amel are like, shut up. The crew waits, as silent as they can, for what seems like forever. After 30 minutes, the man leaves and Mulligan gives them all clear on the walkie. The mystery man has left the building, none the wiser. And the guys scramble, get their shit, and go. They've done it. It's amazing. Now it's Monday morning. Authorities find the vault busted open with a screwdriver jammed into the lock's gears. The safety deposit boxes are cleaned the fuck out. Things are a mess. There is everything on the ground. Human ashes, photographs, jewelry, locks of hair, all over. A complete and total mess. The numbers really vary on how much they actually took. According to Amel, the guys took $11 million in $500 bills and $1,000 bills, and then another $1 million in $100 bills and $800,000 from the other deposit boxes and bank operating money. But by the time the police are actually taking inventory, most of the Cleveland guys are already flying home. Amel, James, and Chuck are halfway to Vegas to try to launder the money and sell some bonds. Only Harry is left, scrubbing down the condo, still with an ear on those scanners. But on April 12th, everyone is back in Ohio. They had done it. They had gotten away with it. And it went too well. 
because the group gets cocky and decides to use the exact same techniques on May 4th, 1972, when they clean out the Lordstown Bank back in Lordstown, Ohio, a little bit closer to home. The FBI links the two heists and sloppy transportation records. Remember when I said that they were all flying under their own names on one single flight? Yeah, not a good idea. They reveal the five traveled to California, and they also learn of the townhouse in Ohio and get a warrant to search it. The search at first yields nothing, until police check the dishwasher. The crew had forgotten to run it, so the police get fingerprints from all of the dirty dishes and plates. Easy. And soon, arrest warrants are issued. Now everything comes crashing down. Charles Brockle, who was picked up for skipping bail on a previous charge, rats out everyone immediately, even Phil, his own family member. When the police arrest Phil and Amel, they find rare coins that belong to one of the United California Bank's customers. They also find $537 in cash they can trace to the Lordstown Bank job. Phil was also just holding on to his original tools, cash, and a book with alarm voltages. To add insult to injury, Brockle testifies against his co-conspirators in exchange for immunity from prosecution. On October 27, 1972, Amel Dinzio, Charles Mulligan, and Phil Christopher are convicted of the United California bank burglary job. The three are sentenced to 20 years each for conspiracy, bank burglary, and larceny. But Phil Christopher only serves five years in exchange for help on another mob case. James, on the run, is apprehended in Cleveland on February 6, 1973. He eventually received a sentence of 15 years. Harry is a fugitive for eight years before being caught. It's a classic burglary with all of the elements. And if you want to know more, you should definitely check out our episode of History's Greatest Heists with Pierce Brosnan. Yes, yes, I'm plugging it again. I'm sorry. On the History Channel. It is episode five, hosted by our very best friend, Pierce Brosnan. (laughs) 